Welcome to our podcast series, Talking with Traders, hosted by expert trader Garth McKenzie in London, from where he's interviewing various guests on the topic of trading. Welcome to season four of Talking with Traders with me, Garth McKenzie. It's been a lengthy hiatus since we completed season three of this series, so it's good to be back. Thank you to IG Markets for once again coming on board to fund and sponsor this podcast. Their involvement is hugely valuable, and we're proud to have such an award-winning CFD provider alongside us. In this season, I'll welcome back some of our most popular guests from previous seasons to get their updated views on the markets, and I'll also bring in some new guests too. I'll be asking them pertinent questions about how they trade the market and where they're seeing opportunities in the global trading and investing arena. The idea is that you, the listener, gain some valuable insight and education from these market professionals that may be of use in your own trading and investing. So with that in mind, let's get straight into this week's episode of Talking with Traders. Welcome back to another episode of Talking with Traders. And in this episode, I welcome back another previous guest from the first series of Talking with Traders. Um, his name is Simon Brown. He needs no introduction to the South African financial community. He's very well known there and well represented in all of the financial media. The last time we spoke, Simon, it was the 9th of April 2020. So pretty much exactly two years ago from when we were recording this interview now. And a lot's changed since then. Welcome back. Thanks, Garth. We were young and naive back then. I think we were still, certainly in South Africa, in our three week of lockdown, which of course ended up being away a lot more than just uh, three weeks. Um, and and crazy markets because by then the markets had bottomed. But I mean, in hindsight, it was easy to tell. Not so much at, the, at that point in time. Yeah, not so much at that point in time, exactly. I mean, they bottomed in in March and were starting to rally quite violently yeah. and a lot of us thought that that was just a you know a, a bounce that was going to be followed by another leg to the downside and of course the fed came in and started uh, you know aggressively stimulating the market and it just kept mm -hmm. on going and we saw a rally like well like nothing else it was it, it was quite incredible the way the markets recovered after that um but it certainly left it, it's it's left things I, I feel feeling a little bit bubbly in many respects. I don't know whether you agree with that or not. I, th I think so. I mean, th there's certainly pockets. I mean, tech, absolutely. And we've seen tech under pressure. Uh, what, I think it, the NASDAQ peaked sort of October, November. Um, and we've seen pressure there since. Uh, so certainly, I think they're, they're pockets. And it's the big debate is, you know, is the market moving towards the, the value methodology as, as distinct from growth? Um, and, and, you know, those sort of big decisions for me are, are all always so incredibly hard to call. Um, but certainly tech looking frothy and of course resources, you know, and I've been saying for, for I mean, almost a year now, all the commodity prices have to do is stay where they are. They don't have to move much higher. Um, and, I, you know, mine is the world over are, are, are frankly currently printing, printing presses. Yeah, they are. And, and that's certainly being a, a massive benefit to South Africa at the moment and to the RAND. Yeah. And that, that's something we are going to speak about during the podcast a little bit later. But um, 
What I wanted to ask you about as a first question, actually, was to talk about your lazy trading system. It's it's one of the terms that you've come up with, and I think it's something that you, I guess you're relatively well known for. I know when, whenever I talk to participants in the financial markets and retail traders, your lazy trading system is something that people ref- reference quite a bit. And I want to just chat to you a little bit about that. I mean, what actually is your lazy trading system, uh, first of all, and then Following on from that, how's it actually performed over the last two years since we last spoke? So let me even step back a bit and take you back to 2004, 5, 6, around then. I started day trading Aussie futures. Um, and it was a, a bit of a steep learning curve, but it, it was fine. I started to make some money with it. But I realized that this wasn't yeah, the whole idea around, around markets is they're supposed to be, oh, you can do this from your yacht five minutes a day and you'll be richer than Buffett. And I discovered I was working a 12 or 14 hour day, including admin and all of that. Um, and I was working way harder than at any other job. The money was nice, but, and, and I started this process to become a, a lazy trade. And I actually stumbled across a system out of Australia, uh, Guppy, I think Daryl Guppy is the chap's mm-hmm. name. And he uses a whole bunch of, of moving averages. Um, and the more I dug, and one of the phrases I use often is that the only real truth in the market is price. Everything else is opinion. Price matters because people have, you know, they, they've either bought or sold at that price and they've, they've agreed. So it is true. And, and, and then I was looking at, at technical analysis generally. And the, the trick with drawing uh, trend line support, resistance and the like was I was always worried about my bias. Um, and, and I've got to be clear, I am not an expert technical analyst by, by any stretch. I, I leave that to the likes of, of you, Peter Aidenhaus, Mishima Gama, you know, those who do know what they do. Doing. And I was worried about my own inherent bias with trend lines. So I moved on from that. And I was looking at indicators. Um, I particularly like stochastic. And but then it just started to occur to me that all the indicator was was taking the price, which is my truth, uh, doing a mathematical process and, and then giving me an indicator. In other words, it's actually moving me away from the price. And that's why I eventually settled on moving averages. Um, and the theory being that moving average is probably the closest you can get to price. And you can get fancy and use an exponential as opposed to a, a simple or, or, or a weighted. Um, and, and typically I use the EMA. It's just got a, you know, markets have got some memory. So the EMA sort of makes today more important than day one of whatever that series is. Mm-hmm. Um, and Daryl Guppy had a great system, but it was was too many moving averages and my chart was just you know it was just complete craziness so i i just refined it now I, I narrowed it down um and i'm either using two or three depending which which system i'm on uh if i'm just using two it's 721 and i'm looking for a crossover uh and and that that triggers me if i'm using the three it's the uh, uh, the two short ones which will be sort of 15 and 30, which give you direction. So 15 above 30, longs only. Uh, and then the, 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 sorry, 30 and 60 for direction, 15 for trigger. Um, so really keeping the chart as clean as possible with as little on it as, as possible. And it's, 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 you know, it's like any trend-based system. It can get you into a heck lot of trouble because a market goes sideways for a period. Um, in the case of South Africa, our market went sideways for, what, three, four years up until around 2018. Um, and you're constantly getting in and you're constantly getting stopped out. And you're taking small losses, but you can take a lot of losses in a row. And, and, and that number can, can absolutely stack up and, and, and can be soul-destroying, even though you're doing everything right 
the market's just not there. Um, and it, it's worked well. So I, I, I've, I've expanded it. I, I've always preferred indices to trade, uh, less volatile, less single event risk, you know, a, a CEO quits or, or, or is arrested or whatever the case may be. Um, and that single event risk was, has always bothered me about equity. Uh, FX, I've done a bit of FX, the 24-hour market uh, uh, bothers me as well. So I've settled on, on indices. And to manage that process whereby it's a case of, you know, the South African market goes sideways for a long time. So on a daily chart, it's really hard to make money. I trade the globe as well and I, so i trade the s&p and the nasdaq um out of europe i trade the the FTSE and the Eurostoxx 50 i trade hong kong uh the nifty 50 out of uh, uh india uh and and australia so sort of bringing in international markets because across those there's always going to be something happening somewhere and and therefore you know able to 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 find profitable trades whilst others are perhaps not so profitable and then the key point with, with trend-based trading is that you get the occasional giant winners and, and they really what matter. And then you get a lot of small losses and small winners and they almost sort of even each other out. Uh, it's those big ones that, that, that really make the difference. And, and it's had, it's had a good pandemic, I suppose. I mean, I've just closed two positions. I was, uh, I closed a, a FTSE trade yesterday. I was long. I had a NASDAQ trade, which I closed last week neither for big profit, but I was, I got to say, surprised to be getting uh, uh, the longs, particularly on the NASDAQ. But it, you know, it comes back to the point we, we made in the intro there. Um, you know, markets looking frothy. Yeah. But as a technical trader, it's just doing whatever the, the chart tells me to do. Okay. All right. Interesting. And it's interesting to hear as well that you've expanded to those overseas markets, Hong Kong, India, um, FTSE, et cetera, mm. because I know when we spoke the last time, two years ago, um, I think most of your focus at that stage still was very much on the Aussie in South Africa. So those yeah. foreign markets, then it sounds like it's something fairly new that's, that's come onto your radar, well, in the last two years. It has, it has. And uh, there's, I mean, there's there's a, there's a couple of reasons for it. One is is that, that you know when I started uh, sort of trading uh, Aussie in, in the current process a decade or so ago, uh, access to to foreign markets was what was possible but hard. Um, these days, it's just so much easier. There, there's you know there, there's perfectly legitimate uh, uh, platforms. You know, not the run by nights, and you can get you know really good pricing and and everything that you need uh, to to trade offshore. Um, I, I leave equity alone. The, the, the universe is just too big. I, I stick to South Africa. So there there is that expansion. I, I still do Aussie, and I still do some uh, trading of Aussie uh, pre the equity market open, and we can touch on that in a moment. Um, but it, it, it's just given me, a, aside from a hard currency earning, it gives me that, that diversification of, of markets to trade in. Okay. All right. Super. And, and I want to just step away from sort of shorter term trading for a moment and talk about your longer term investment approach. Because one of the things that stuck with me from when we spoke previously was the way you described your overall investing approach as a pyramid. And I really liked the way you described it. And effectively, at the time, you said you've got a big base, which is made up majority of ETFs at the bottom. And then you've got a second layer of stocks that you kind of intend to hold forever. And above that, you've got another layer of momentum stocks, which are, I guess, somewhat somewhat shorter term in nature. Mm-hmm. Um, and then right at the very top, you had the, the actual trading, which is where you're active. And I guess that's where you, you'd be doing your 
the footsie and the hang sing and the, the lazy system and so on in that uh in, in in that component has that remained very much the same uh and or, or have you changed that approach no, that approach has, has, has remained the same. There, there's, I suppose, two differences, although so, so the ETF portion of the percentage is growing, um, and that's something I've, I've been planning on now for oh, a number of years and will continue to do uh, over the next decade or so as, as, you know, as I sort of start getting into, into uh, uh, I was going to say retirement, but that sounds like a terrifying concept, but <laughs> yeah, as I get older. So the ETF proportion is, is growing a bit. The other bigger one, perhaps, is that, that, that momentum that you speak about, which is it's local equity. I don't get it. Um, it's typically my small and mid cap, although not exclusively. Um, and, and that I had, I don't want to say I'd abandoned it, but it had become a fairly quiet part of my portfolio. It had a couple of stocks in it that had been doing really well. Um, so they didn't need any, any sort of managing or anything like that. But I hadn't been bringing much new stuff in. And I was actually reflecting on it over the, the December holidays. Every year I spend, you know, I take that, that three-week break. And one of the things I do is, you know, think back on my, my trading and investing over the course of the year and my performance and that sort of stuff. And I, I, in my mind, I was kind of saying, well, you know, uh, uh, the markets was going sideways. The small mid-cap space was under pressure. SA Inc., et cetera, et cetera. And, and none of that is necessarily wrong. I mean, all of those statements are perfectly valid. Um, but there was still opportunity. And, and I, I had simply just not been spending enough time and effort in that space for, for one or another reason. Um, and certainly uh, early last year, I, I not even so much consciously, it wasn't so much that I woke up and said time to start doing something about it. But when I was looking back, reviewing the, the year, it was quite patent that, that 2021, I'd become a, a lot more active in that space. And, and at this point, it's still... A lot of it is, you know, when I say I hold them as long as that, that trend runs, I mean, some of those stocks, I mean, I've held stocks in that space for, you know, four, five, six, even eight years. I mean, if they are moving and they're paying me dividends and even if they go sideways for a bit, it's not good. So I've got no cost of carry. Um, some of them are paying dividends. So I get paid a little bit to hold them as well. And as long as the cash isn't needed somewhere else. So I've become a lot more active in, in, in that sort of, I call it my second tier slash momentum uh, part of the portfolio. And then of course the change is right at the pyramid in terms of you know, looking at, at, at offshore indices. Right. Okay. And, and in those lower parts of the pyramid in your base, your ETF space, and is that South African ETFs or do you diversify that globally as well? And also your, your kind of hold forever section i guess the second layer in in the stocks spectrum um do you have offshore exposure there as well or do you do you kind of keep it local to south africa no so the 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 ets space is majority uh, uh global whether that's buying in new york and dollars or whether it's buying in in rands in south africa and, and buying an s&p 500 or in my case mostly i buy the the core shares uh world it's a vanguard world etf uh offshore code is vt onshore code is global um and i just i buy i, I, I that's just my stock standard i buy that every every month with with debit order uh every march i, I fill up my my uh, tax-free account and, and i go and buy that as well i will take some tactical positions from time to time. Uh, currently, I am long uh, local property, uh, mining and banks. Uh, mining and banks doing really, really great. Local property, not so much. 
Um, but otherwise, it's it's offshore ETFs entirely. And, and this was a decision which my then colleague, Christia von Heerden, and I took probably six or so years ago, where it's, you know, South Africa is small. We've got obviously a lot of exposure to South Africa thanks to our Reg28 products. And, and my Reg28 are passive products already within my, my preservation, retirement, et cetera. Um, and, and so it was really just to get that, that, that global. And, and the beauty of you know, ETFs, global ETFs like that in particular, is that if certain areas are, are doing great, they, their weight will pick up. And if a market is doing poorly, they're relatively small. I mean, that, that Vanguard holds over 9,000 shares in it. So, you know, and, and in one sense, People say, you know, too diluted, but the, the top 10 is 15%. So you've got some concentration and that is mostly US. It's mostly tech because that's where the market cap is at this point in time. Um, but of course, it then gives you a, a lot of emerging market exposure and, and typically more than most. Most global ETFs have got sort of your, your emerging market exposure at around 6 or 8%. Uh, this one, at a, if you include, and, and the debate is always, where does South Korea go? And I'm not going to enter that debate because the South Koreans will will come for us uh, one way or the other. But but that's got about a closer to about a 13% emerging market exposure. So that base of ETFs, apart from legacy, and what I mean by legacy, I started buying Satrix 40 in December 2020. Um, I've got a pile of them. If I were to sell them, the, the, I would have to give a, a giant check to SARS. So I leave them. And then over time, as I'm adding elsewhere, they just become smaller and smaller as a part of the, the portfolio, as I'm constantly adding money to, to other parts. You're listening to Talking With Traders, a podcast series brought to you by IG, a world-leading online trading and investment provider. If you haven't checked out the IG online trading platform, please do so and visit IG.com. Also, make sure you subscribe to the podcast series on your favorite podcast app or website by clicking on the subscribe button and you'll be notified weekly as we release new episodes. Okay. All right. Super. Well explained. Thanks. We've spoke a little earlier about the RAND and we also mentioned how how well the South African market is doing um, because of the miners and because of the commodity boom that we're seeing globally at the moment. Um, and, and with the strong commodity prices, we've got a stronger rand. And I think in addition to that, we've also got a strong rand because of the higher yields available in South Africa. And I think in addition to that, we've got the situation where uh, a lot of money that had been invested in Russia has now been forced to yeah. be reallocated to other emerging market geographies. So naturally, South Africa just gets upweighted as as Russia's weighting in in the MSCI emerging mas- markets basket, for example, goes down to nothing. So there's a number of tailwinds for the rand at the moment that are all kind of pushing it stronger. And I mean, I, I look at it daily, and I'm I'm quite surprised that right now we're sitting here. The rand is is below mm-hmm. 19 rand to the pound which is is not far off of where it was when I moved to the UK nearly three years ago. So it's it's great to see it from a RAND perspective. But I, we know that the RAND is a volatile currency. It, it fluctuates a hell of a lot over the, over the years. Right now, surely this has got to be a good time to be diversifying offshore if you are a South African investor and you don't have a lot of offshore exposure already. Absolutely. Yeah, the RAND will occasionally crash, um, as we've seen 
the pandemic crash of two years ago, uh, and Kankanene being fired, uh, 2008. I mean, the, the list just goes on. Our, our currency, and, and there's reasons for it, in part because it's just such a liquid currency as well. But Iran, from time to time, really does collapse into the gutter. And, and far too often, that's when people are panicking. Um, and I, I, you know, back in 2000, uh, in December, when it happened, it was 2001, I think, the rant hit 1360. And my wife rushed, my wife and I rushed out and bought white appliances because we figured you know, rand's never coming back. We're never going to be able to afford a fridge again. And we were wrong on both accounts. Mm. So when the rand strengthens like this, this is your opportune point. Now, you know, where is the strength thing? I mean, you know, it's, call it fourteen fifty on the dollar. Um, you know, is this as good as it gets? I, I, I don't know. I, I mean, you know, from that 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 December two thousand and one weakness of thirteen seventy odd, it went to five seventy five, and that was driven largely by the same stories that you're talking about now. Um, okay, there wasn't a war in Russia, and, and Turkey was still an investment destination, but it was it was that commodity boom, and we can see it in the data balance of trade coming out of the Reserve Bank. We can see it in the extra money that the finance minister has every year from from tax receipts. So this is the opportune time to be moving money offshore. And, and what I do, and it's a new a new addition in terms of my thinking, is that so every every month I go and buy my offshore ETFs. And I move some money into into dollars, and either I just leave it in or euros. I either just leave it in that currency, or if it's in dollars, I'll go buy the the VT um, uh, ETF. What I do when when there's a twenty percent uh, appreciation, so when the rand's twenty percent better off its highs, I try and double that amount of money. When the market is down twenty percent, I try and double that amount of money. Now. I stress the tripod because it's you know there, there's obviously cash flow. My wife and I and the the cat need to eat, um, but I I particularly look at weakness in markets in my long term uh, passive as an opportunity to 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 double up, and I did that back in 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 February March or April of of 2020. It's worked better than I would ever have imagined, but but the the, the logic is there. And I do it with the RAND as well. When, when I see that RAND strength, I increase the amount of, of, of cash I'm, I'm taking offshore. I mentioned a moment ago, uh, in terms of the shares I'm buying, the equity, I'm still onshore. I, I know I'm missing out on the global market because there's so much there, but I haven't, you know, it's just, it, it's, it's such a giant market. So I stick to my knitting. I know the, the, the JSC, I know the shares on it. I, I know many of them incredibly well and have been following them one way or another for a decade or two, and, and in some cases even longer. Um, the US is, and, and Europe is, is just, you know, such vast markets that are, I'm like a newbie coming in. So it's just the, the, the ETFs in that space. But yeah, you know, rent strength, it's when you should be externalizing. And again, not in the panic sense, not at like, oh, Rand's fourteen fifty, panic, sell everything and, and move it into dollars. Because man, this Rand could go, I don't know, thirteen fifty, ten fifty. I mean, nothing's off the table. But those are crazy numbers, but we've seen it before. Yeah, well, that's it. I mean, the, the, the Rand in um, currency markets terms is is affectionately known as the rattler, and that's because it it, yes. it can turn around <laughs> and bite you both directions when you least expect it. So it can get a hell of a lot stronger and than you think. That both it, directions. In both directions, exactly, and it can also get a lot weaker than you think sometimes. So right now, it's certainly got the wind at its back. The Rand is 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 very strong, but it's not to say that it can't go uh, the strongest still from these levels. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. And over the long term, a quick, a, let me jump in there quick. Over the long term, 
people say the runs a one-way bet, and that's not untrue. But that weakness in the currency against the dollar has only been running at about three or four percent a year, which is technically our difference in inflation, which is what it should do. Mm. It's you know we we kind of view the rand as those collapses where it goes from you know ten to eleven in one afternoon of trading, and and but if you put a very long-term trend line on it, and and actually it, it it's kind of gentle. Um, but uh, to your point, I mean, be careful. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a good point that you raise about the rand. You know, its long term trajectory does tend to follow the differential in inflation, and and it's very very volatile yeah. around that over around that sort of purchasing power parity, if you will, over time. And and just to that point, I mean, I think about it now. When I was just out of university, I came over to the UK to work for a while, and at that stage, it was two thousand and one. Um, the, that was when the rand blew out the time that you that you were referring to and it got yeah, to yeah. you know, 13 50 or something to the US dollar and it went to 21 odd to the pound at that point in time and i remember arriving here in the uk then and you know going to buy myself lunch and i just couldn't believe how expensive everything was on a relative basis but i mean the rand then was 21 to the pound and here we sit 21 years later, and it's, it's below 19 to the pound today. So it, you, you're quite right. It's not a one-way bet. And if you if you time it wrong and you become emotional at those extremes, you can make you can make very expensive mistakes. So I guess that's just a yeah. a, a cautionary tale for listeners to always be aware of. Um, but the way you do it, Simon, sounds right. Is you, you know you you kind of take the you fade the extremes, I suppose. You know, you're not the guy panicking when the rand blows out and Nene's mm. been fired. You, you know, you're you're phasing your forex in now when it's nice and strong, as opposed to panicking to suddenly export your money when it's weak. That's the right way to do it. So yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, uh, let's just get back to your your active trading a little bit more um, and move away from mm. the the more longer term investing stuff. Some time back, I remember speaking to you. I think it was when we had lunch one day or, or something like that. But I remember it very clearly. You said, you know, you'd hit 100 perfect trades and that you were quite proud of that, as you should be. But I want to get back to that point because you know, a lot of listeners who are traders will wonder, well, what is a perfect trade? So I want to hear it from you. What is a perfect trade? And at that stage, you had done 100 perfect trades. And have you kept counting? And what are you up to now if you have kept on counting? Uh, I'm going to have to pull up the spreadsheet. Um, it's almost 300 now. So the first thing is what is not a perfect trade is not did I make money or not? Because that's typically a newbie mistake. If we make money in a trade, we think it's perfect. And if we lost money, it's a horror trade. Yeah. And the point is, is that you know, the, the market, you can do everything right and you can lose money. And, and this was something which I had to reread the the um, uh, Mark Douglas book, Trading in the Zone, many times to fully comprehend that what I do doesn't 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 inform whether I'm necessarily going to make a profit. Ultimately, the market will decide that, and and the market is agnostic as to whether I'm a nice guy, whether I deserve it, whether I'm on a winning or a losing streak. It, it, it totally doesn't matter. So I set about a set of rules that were designed to keep me disciplined. I remember chatting to you. And we're going way back now. I mean, maybe even five or seven, maybe even more years ago. Um, and I said to you, in a word, what makes a trader? And you said discipline. 
Um, and that absolutely resonated with me. And, and the perfect trade came to try and sort of enhance the discipline in my trading. So it, it's a bunch of, it's seven steps. Uh, seven is, is, is frankly too many. Um, I could have done less, but I've kept it exactly as it is. Um, and and it's, did I get the signal? Uh, did I get confirmation? I always work on a, on a two-step entry. So if I'm doing a moving average trade and the moving averages say time to buy, I buy if the candle is green. I don't buy a red candle because I want to go long. So I want, I want the wind at my back from that immediate process. So did I get the signal? Uh, did I wait and get the confirmation? Was my position size correct? Was my stop loss uh, uh, positioned correctly as per methodology? Uh, was the stop loss monitored and adjusted as required? Um, and did I exit as per the system rules? So if, I, if I'm always doing the same thing, what it enables me to do is to replicate trades. And, and that's what a trader needs to be able to do. If, if, you, if you're a, a trader and, and you're making money over a period of time, that's great. But you need to be able to replicate that through different market conditions, through different market instruments you might be trading, um, whatever it might be, just those differences. And that replication comes from a rigidity in terms of, of of how I trade and, and what I do and what generates the buy system for me, uh, where does the stop loss get positioned and all of that. And if I'm ticking all of those boxes and doing perfect trades, any one trade might not make me money. I might even have a run of losing trades. I'm a trend-based trader. You know, 10 losing trades in a row is, is not uncommon. Um, so, but, but I know that ultimately the system will, will reward me. And, and if I'm disciplined and I'm doing those perfect trades, then at, 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 at some point I'll get the big winners. And that over time, that portfolio will, will generate uh, alpha and, and, and make profit for me. Um, so it was really a way to, to bring me into a fiercely disciplined trader. And I'd always been relatively good at discipline, but this really sort of, I suppose, took it to a, a cliched next level. And when I speak to new traders, I say to them, do a perfect trade. And they all look at me as if this is the, the easiest thing in the world. And it's not because there's so much that's, you know, there, there's, there's the Twitter and the TV and a and hundred other things telling us to do something. And you've got to sit there and, and wait for, for, for what you consider to be the, the exact right moment. And it's that, that patience, that ability to wait, that ultimately being disciplined to, to a process which then makes that process repeatable again and again and again. Yeah, so that's it. And I mean, I've seen it written so many times, but they say good trading is actually quite boring. And that pretty much yeah. echoes what you're saying. You've got a couple of rules. You stick to the rules. You just do the same thing over and over and over again. And you know that ultimately over time, the edge will play out in your favor. But yes, a perfect trade is not... Um, always making a profit. Sometimes a perfect trade is is executing a stop loss because that's what your rules told you to do. So it's important for the listeners to know that. And I, I love the saying that the best that user wins. The, yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. And it was it was the trading in the zone. And he uses the analogy of going to a movie. And you pay your whatever it is to go to a movie and you go in and you watch it. Um, and at the end of the day, there is no, there's no takesy-backsies. There's no saying it was a bad movie, I want my money back. There's no saying the acting was poor or the sound was too loud. You've taken that risk. Mm -hmm. um, and we do it all the, all the time. And, 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 and the market's the same. And where Mark Douglas takes it that step further is he says, consider your stop loss. So say you're doing a 10K trade and your stop loss is 1,000. So your risk is 1,000 is 1,000 bucks. Consider that your entry price for the trade. You're paying a thousand rand. The outcome, 
well, you might get nothing back. You might get a thousand back and you broke even. You might get a thousand and twenty back, but of course you might get four or five or you know whatever that number might be. Um, and 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 for me, it was it was that sort of shift. And then it was a case of, well, okay, if this is my ticket, I got to make sure that I'm going to a movie every time, and it's not sometimes a poetry recital or a play or something like that. And that's where those those rules come in to make sure that I'm always in the in, in, in the same space, which is how and what I trade, which which is what works for me. I've been doing this now for it'll be it'll be it'll be 30 years in a couple of years time um and and you know i think like everyone for the first five or so years completely lost didn't have a clue and i've slowly you know worked out what does work for me which is the lazy simple technical analysis because i'm not a ta expert uh indices because i don't like the the single event risk and because they're less volatile and, and slowly sort of work that out and then having done that now it's a case of, well, how do I keep myself on that straight and narrow? That's what yeah. the rules do. Yeah. 287. 287. Trades in a row is where I'm at. Fantastic. Yeah, well done. And I guess with that kind of a record, the last thing you want to be doing is, is well, breaking the streak, right? So that's exactly it. I, I, call, I call it my Hashim Amla. Um, he's got the record for highest test runs by South Africa in a single match against the English. Um, and, and I, you know, imagine if, if someone's going to beat Hashim Amla and you do a reckless thing at, 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 you know, I don't know, 310 runs or something silly like that, it, it starts to become self-fulfilling and truthfully, it actually becomes self-enforcing probably somewhere around 15 or so of them because you're at 15 perfect trades. I don't trade that frequently. So this is some times past. I don't want to go back to zero. You know, I don't want to go out and have to start again. Yeah. You start getting to your triple century, you, you, your dedication, it, it, it enforces, it becomes reinforcing in the process. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Just on, on that point, I mean, one of the things about trading that where, where traders can make it big is, is the compounding effect. So you take a percentage of your capital that you're willing to lose on each trade and you, mm-hmm. you keep that at a consistent number. I know when we spoke the previous time, I think you said it was about 1% of your actual uh, you know, short-term yeah. trading capital. Um, but the reality is if, if you're growing your capital base, that 1% becomes a bigger notional figure as your account becomes larger. So, I mean, if you take it now, you know, trade numbers one to 10 versus now trades number 280 to 290, uh, yeah. what is the 1%, you know, is it a bigger number or, or have you kind of shuffled the money around out into longer term investments, et cetera? Do you, do you follow what I'm saying? So, so I do sweep my, yeah, I, I sweep my account every, every six months, sweep my trading account, take it, stick it into ETFs, a holiday or, or something like that. I'm always some of it going into, into ETFs. In an ideal world, I'll probably split it three ways. Uh, a third discretionary, a third long-term investing, and a third I leave in. The problem I was getting into, particularly trading local, um, is that although the Aussie futures is quite liquid, um, I, I don't want to be the big player in the market there. And, and, you know, I mean, once you start hitting, you know, even just start hitting 10 contracts, I mean, you're, you're, you're trading in size and it 
points in the day, you're moving that market. Yeah. Um, and, and that's not where I want to be. I want to be the little oak. No one sees me coming. No one sees me going. That's how I want to play. Moving global has obviously helped that significantly, absolutely massively, um, to the point that the last two years trading profits I've left in the trading account. I would, I would probably say that my, my stop loss, which is still 1%, is probably a factor of 3x maybe. Um, from what it was in early days, maybe wow. two and a half, uh, mm-hmm. but it has been go- growing up. And and the the for a while I'd been bumping against liquidity in 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 the Aussie futures. And as I said, you know, solved once you start when I mean, you start trading S and P E minis. I mean, like yeah, and and that's not even what I trade. But, but I mean, in in terms of of liquidity, I mean, Warren Buffett can trade that stuff and probably still got enough wiggle room. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Once you get out South Africa's borders, there's a lot of liquidity out there in the global markets. Yeah. Um, for this next question, I kind of think you've already answered it but based on what we've just been talking about. I wanted to ask you about journaling and whether you do any journaling of your hmm. trading. But the fact that you've been able to rattle off those kind of figures suggests to me that you absolutely do journal. You keep a, a, a record of your trades, right? Yeah. Uh, so, so obviously, I, I score every trade. Um, I also make some notes. I, I will grab a, a screenshot of the chart um, and, and, and drop it in so that I've got that. You know, I could technically go back in time, but but I don't. Um, and I've I've always been fairly consistent around that. I mean, even way back in in, in the sort of early two thousands and the like, I was I was keeping fairly good records of of what I what I was doing. What I also do, and I'm. I'm less consistent about that, but I, I still do it from time to time. Is is there's a box which I call because I do this in an Excel spreadsheet, um, which I call my reflection box, and and that's thoughts on the trade. You know, maybe what happened. Maybe I got stopped because war in Russia unexpectedly, or pandemic, or or, or whatever the case is. Or, or maybe I was you know on the right side and war in Russia actually made me money. You know, because you know we, we always focus on the times when external factors hurt us but truthfully sometimes they make us money as well and we we must acknowledge that as well Mm. what i started doing which is something i actually did in my very very early trading days so the early 2000s when i was just starting to become profitable is a lot more sort of reflection on the trade on on the sort of i want to say the sort of the soft science the emotional side i mean neither quite the right phrase but i think you and the listeners will get what i'm saying what was my state of mind how did the trade make me feel um you know almost trying to 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 sort of stand behind myself watch me putting it on am i putting it on calm and collectively am i is something worrying me maybe about the trade but maybe about the markets or the weather or work or 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 you know whatever the case may be but, but trying to get a more holistic view, that's what I'm looking for, more holistic view um, uh, into it. And, and uh, journaling or even just good record keeping has, has saved me more times than not. I had a trading system in the early 2000s that was working for me quite nicely, started losing money. I couldn't work out why. I went back to my, to my record keeping and I'd actually changed the, the methodology I was using. Um, and I can pinpoint the trade that I changed it, but I have no memory of doing it. It had to have been me. I logged into my system and decided to, to you know, uh, uh, change the, the, the parameters I was using. No idea why, but th- that enabled me to go and pinpoint where and when I had done it. Um, it was also one of the things that made me move away from, you know, sort of move faster towards 
lazy, simple trading, um, because in the complexity of it, in the bigger picture, that one little trade didn't jump out at you, but it was it was making an impact on, on the profitability. And maybe it wasn't. I mean, I've always said it made an impact on the profitability. Maybe it was just the markets at that point of time, but certainly that's what brought it up for me. So I've got a an Excel spreadsheet here that starts, and it is a monster of a spreadsheet. Oh no, so I've actually sliced them, uh, but they probably go back 20 years, um, sure. which is, it's just it's it's and I don't I don't go I don't go look at the you know that stuff from the early two thousands again and maybe I should just for, for the heck of it um, I go revisit periods from you know five years or so ago maybe ten years ago um, but it 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 helps focus the mind more it's more about the now than it is certainly for me using it in a year or three or four it makes me pay attention to what I'm doing at this point in time. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Fantastic. Yeah. That point around journaling is so interesting. It's something I didn't do earlier on in my career and I really wish I did. Um, I've, I've started being very diligent about journaling in recent years and I've found that actually the process is, is very good. It does help to kind of ground you. But I guess from that, I, yeah. I want to take you to our last question of the podcast because we're drawing towards the end of our time. But, um, you know, if I could talk to my younger self, I guess I would say one of the things I should have done earlier was to start journaling earlier. If you could go back half your life and go back to your say 25 year old self, what financial advice, if you, I mean, obviously there's probably lots, but if you could narrow it down to two or three mm-hmm. things, what financial advice would you give to your 25 year old self now? I mean, the, the usual stuff, you know, for example, you know, have one less beer on the weekend and save the difference. I know it's not going to make any difference, but it really is. Depends, I suppose, how much beer you drank on the weekend. But, you know, that sort of stuff, you know, start the saving process early. Uh, start the long-term saving process early. Um, but but something which I have been thinking about is is the younger me to be more thoughtful about my decisions and i don't mean thoughtful in in terms of 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 being kind although that of course is a given but i just and i don't know if it was just me or if it was just youth but the sort of spontaneous just doing something on a whim um rather than actually you know thinking through it and i'm not saying that i shouldn't have done a lot of what i did and i'm not trying to avoid the the things that i did that went pear-shaped but I, I, I think I didn't think enough about my decisions that I was making back when I, when I was a whole, a whole lot younger. Um, and, and thinking about them more, I might even still have made the same ones, and I certainly would have you know, made mistakes. This isn't a, a solution to avoid that. But just the idea of saying, you know, just be a little more thoughtful, a little more, you know, the what, the whys, the hows, the whens, the wheres, um, in, in terms of, 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 of what I'm doing, why I'm doing it. And I think it would have... It, it would have made a a probably a more a more balanced uh, uh, youth, and I think it would have made me probably a, a, a better adult as well. And those two things would both have played directly into, I think, my trading, my investing, my career, my relationships. Mm, such a great answer. <laughs> and unfortunately, you know, we don't. Well, I guess when we're young, we just don't have the benefit of experience that we have now that we're a lot older. So it's, that's the, the yeah. circle of life and, and, and the nature of And if of I things. went to my young self, yeah, if I went and told my young self that, they're probably going to say, yeah, old man. I, I mean, I, I appreciate, you know, they say the youth is, is wasted on the youth. Yeah. Um, but hey, I, I, put, I put it out there, but maybe someone's like, hmm, not a bad idea. 
Yeah, well, that's it. I mean, that's why I brought it up. Maybe there is a 25-year-old listening to us that actually heeds some of this advice and um, plots their path accordingly. Anyway, Simon, it's really been fantastic catching up with you again. I always enjoy our chats. Uh, and as, as I expected, you've articulated things so beautifully today again. So thank you. Thanks for your time. Um, it's been good. And I know you're heading off on holiday pretty soon. So enjoy your time away. And I look forward to catching up with you again, probably in another year or so from now. Excellent. Garth, always a pleasure chatting. Thanks, Simon. Take care. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of Talking With Traders, brought to you by IG, a world-leading CFD provider. We really are privileged to have such a leader in the field of online trading involved in this series. Please follow us on Facebook and engage with us there. And a reminder to make sure you subscribe to this series by clicking on the subscribe button on your favorite podcast app. If you've enjoyed this podcast, we'd also appreciate if you'd leave a review on the app too. Till next time.